You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for air conditioning in Texas. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. Thank you for everything you are. Thank you for your precious word. Thank you for plowing the ground of the precious hearts here, your children, Lord, to receive the manna from heaven. Thank you, Lord, that they take it in, allow it to take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week I made mention, it was Father's Day, and I was making mention of something about statistics, which you all know I hate. And I said something about 17% of, if it's just the, the mother goes to church, the children will follow. And then I didn't, I, I heard myself on the replay of it, I listened to myself even during the week to make sure it was gone. <laughs> but but I made a mistake. And look, if you... Uh, if you're looking for uh, for something wrong, you just come to the right place. You just look. <laughs> you'll find something if you look at me long enough. But I uh, I just forgot to finish the statement. I think I don't know, but it was a huge number, a big difference if uh, if both parents went. You know that's the point. And I went and studied that out, and I said I don't even know. I don't like these stats anyway. But I started looking into that. I saw a bunch of more research and stuff like that, and it got. Even more discouraging, it was like one in 50 children that the parents don't both attend regularly will will be regular attenders in church. And, you know, I don't like all that. So, because we all pretty much come from some kind of broken something. <laughs> I know I do. I was like... A, I was like a old broken vase, you know. You ever heard of that Japanese art they call kintsugi? Probably said it wrong, but that's okay. But it's where they, they don't throw stuff like that away, old pottery and things like that. They'll take and get the pieces together instead of gluing them like we might if we were trying to hide it from Mama or something. <laughs> they take gold and they solder it with gold. And... Uh, and make it something more beautiful and more valuable, you know. And that's, uh, I think that's what God's done with, with most of us, working on it anyway. I found a, a study, though, from some people that I trust, and it was even more discouraging. It said that 15% of the folks who claim to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, continue in the faith. Yeah, that's, what, 3 out of 20? Something like that. Why? Conversion is a one-time deal. It's an event. Discipleship True discipleship is a lifelong journey. Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus, from his final instructions before leaving planet Earth. (laughs) He said, go therefore and make converts. Nope. 
He said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Thank you, Jesus. People are hurting. People are lost. Even Christians. No idea who they are. Why they are. What they are. Sometimes. Their potential. Their purpose. Their power. They're struggling. I was listening this week to some healing testimonies from my friends up at the college, the Karis Bible College. And uh, there's there a lady that she was speaking at one of the recent conferences. And she, she was telling her testimony. She had a terrible childhood, you know. As a young person, she went through a lot. Yeah. She had a bad situation. Uh, she was abused in all the regular ways <laughs> that you hear about. Don't want to really go into so she got into a sort of self-loathing. She hated herself. She was very depressed. She was cutting and all that. Suicides and thoughts and attempts. And so then, of course, they diagnose her with uh, every kind of PTSD and every other thing they could name. And she started identifying with those things. I'm a this, I'm a that, I have this. Which reinforces that, by the way. That stronghold in the, that the enemy has in there. But then she got a hold of the truth that you hear here. And she began to apply. She began to cooperate with God's plan and His truth. What He says about her. And speak that over herself. And she got totally free. She ended up going to Karis Bible College. And now she runs the Hope Center. Which I think in uh, Chicago. And they're doing wonderful things. And there was another one, and I'll just the last one I'll share. But she, this woman was, uh, she got a hold of these truths, and she, I say these truths, I mean the truth. Amen. Forgive me, Lord. She got, she had, had stage four cancer, and she was miraculously, supernaturally, completely healed and whole. And her teenage son, he saw that, and he was so happy and so excited. And he, they t- had just taken him to the dentist, and he had eight cavities. And he said, well, heck, if it worked for Mama on the, the big C, nothing big to God, amen. He said, surely he could do it on my little cavities. And, you know, he got healed of all those eight cavities. Amen. Amen. Some of you are looking like, yeah, I like to hear this. I see the doctor's report. It's all right. That's all right. I know a guy who was dead for five hours in the morgue with a toe tag on. Got no more brain damage than he did before. <laughs> People just need to know the truth, folks. 
The Real Jesus. That's why I called my book The Real Jesus. How I came to know Him, and you can too. Because many are serving a God of their imagination. They get this... There's sort of a new thing out there, this new age stuff or whatever. They get, they get freed, or they say they did, uh, by a corrupted form of grace. But then they go and they don't believe there, there's any accountability to God for anything. No literal hell. They take that out. And then once you start taking anything out, you can take other things out that don't fit. <laughs> you see? And that's idolatry, folks. That's not the real God. We do obey some things. We're not under the law anymore, but we do obey. What do we obey? Everything in the New Testament. That's right. But now, it's because of God's love for us. We love because He first loved us, is what the Word says. And what Jesus has done. We are now children of God. People say, well, everybody's God. We're all God's children. No, we're not. Not until you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants you to be His child. But until you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're a son of Satan. You have that corrupted sin nature that we all men have had since Adam and Eve. That's why Jesus had to come. But when He comes in, He does evict that. <laughs> that old spirit. That old nature. And now there's nothing compelling you to do wrong. You still can. You can sin with the best of them. But nothing making you. Can't say the devil made me do it anymore. I'm going to get off track. i got a lot of scriptures here. It could be like a four-week course. But I'm just going to gray. I'm just going to pass by some of them and maybe mention them. But I had a heavy burden this week. I watched Todd White in a mall. And uh, I don't remember where he was. But he was trying to talk to a Muslim brother. And he, he just told him Jesus loved him. And the guy got, he wanted to argue about it. And they're always prepared. They've been taught how to argue against. And you can't argue somebody into faith. It takes the work of the Holy Ghost. But it still can be heartbreaking. And it was for him because he... He just, you know, we always say everybody that really falls for the Lord wants to be more effective. And they're always praying, Lord, how can I reach this person? How can I, how can I help them to see? They need the truth. The truth is what sets us free. Amen. Our motivation is. For our obedience now to the Lord is different. Now we obey because, well, there's really three things. First of all, it's who we are. We no longer have that sin nature like I was just saying. Romans 6, 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. The next thing is so that Satan won't have an inroad into your life. God's not counting your sin against you if you have Jesus Christ, but the devil's sure watching for an opportunity, a legal right, an inroad that you gave him to come into your life. 
Romans 6, 15. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law? No, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you're slaves to sin leading to death or to obedience leading to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you once were slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were committed. If we yield to the devil, he'll come in and eat our lunch and pop the bag. The last thing is, or the third thing is, our witness. And this is a huge thing. This is what we're talking about really today. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans, the unbelievers, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So, it's not about you receiving glory and honor. It's about them recognizing Christ in you and seeing Christ in you and God getting the glory. You see? Lord knows He has earned it. It's all about Jesus. It's all about building the kingdom of God. I don't care how bad someone has treated you. I don't care who it is. The best thing that could ever happen to them is that God get a hold of them and change their heart and they repent. You don't really want anybody to go to hell, folks. It's a real place. And it ain't cool. When I I remember when I was you know, we did all kind of crazy talk about how we were gonna party it up when we got down there, you know. So stupid. No, we're not. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 says, Put on the full armor of God. I want to tell you, besides the folks that are serving God out of their imagination, or the God of their imagination, a false God, others have a victim mentality. And this is widespread and rampant, and I'm not trying to pick on anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. I know that there's a lot of brokenness, a lot of pain. I'm never trying to hurt anyone or injure anyone anymore. It's not going to be one of those churches where you went and you wound up worse than when you got there. (laughs) But the truth is what sets you free. And I'm bound to tell you the truth about the lies that you've believed. If it's not for you, then just disregard it. But somebody's hearing this. And it applies to somebody. The ones that are victims and have the victim mentality, it's the same cause. An unrenewed mind. No discipleship. They've been taught by the world system and the world is corrupt. Run by Satan. He's enforcing these lies in people's minds so that they will remain defeated and learn to celebrate it. They're being taught to celebrate it now and to be treated special, even paid. I'm all about taking care of folks. Don't get me wrong. 
If the church was really doing its duty, there would be no need for any social programs. But, the church is not supposed to cripple people either. Ephesians 6, 11, and 12, talking about the armor of God, says, so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. All that's saying is the one who really opposes you is not the person you think is your enemy. It's the... It's the it's the demonic force that's motivating and driving them. It's Satan and all his demons. And it's an organized army that's out to kill you. And the, and, and the fact that you don't acknowledge it just means that you're sure to lose the battle. And you don't get the help you need. Then you're going to be unprepared. It says, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand, stand firm. Let me ask you a question. Does a convert, does someone who comes forward for the first time having heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, does that convert come ready for battle? In their spirit, yes. But you cannot recognize or sense any of what's in your spirit with your natural senses, in your soulish realm, your mind, will, and emotions. You, you have to be renewed in your mind according to the Word with the help of the Holy Spirit to come into agreement with what's now in your born-again spirit. Where you do have the kingdom of God. You do have the mind of Christ. You do have raising from the dead power on the inside of you. The same power that brought Christ from the dead lives inside of you and gives life to your mortal body now if you belong to Christ. Some things people just need to know. Satan can't do anything to you without your consent and cooperation. He does use other people. And bad things happen to good people. But you have a choice to get bitter or get better. Uh, uh, Two kids can be raised up in the same terrible situation. And one go the same way after which he was raised. The other say, I ain't doing none of that. I hate it. And live a totally different life. And that's without God's help. Well, in the true sense. God's always helping. He he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. Amen. But no matter what we go through. If our values are based on the word of God. And what Jesus has provided for us. We could never be tempted. Satan could never get to you. In the Garden of Eden, Satan had to use a a cunning animal, a, a snake, 
to tempt them into disbelieving the Word of God. If they would have stayed trusting God, He never could have won. He never would have won. And death would not have come into their lives to come upon them in all its various forms. He said, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Well, Adam lived for 930 years in the flesh. They died spiritually that day. And everyone born after him from that seed of Adam all the way till Jesus, all the way till now, has still got that corrupted sin nature, that fallen seed. Yeah, you've sinned, but it's not your sin that, that's keeping you apart from God before you receive Jesus. It's the same sin that came with you. You're born a son of Satan. Then when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it's all renewed. He's kicked the heck out. <laughs> I was laughing with my wife last night. I had her almost rolling on the kitchen floor laughing so hard. Because I was telling her some stories about some people that... Different different situations and settings where, where I've been ministering to converts, you know, and people that were just babies in the... In the faith, like I was at one time, and you know, a lot of the folks I used to run with, you know, they just, <laughs> woo, you know. So anyway, one time I was ministering, so I said, "Man, I was telling about what, the, how the devil's lies and what he did." I said, "What are we gonna do, to the old devil?" And they said, "We're gonna kick his ass in <laughs> Okay, then, praise the Lord. We got to work on a couple things. You get the idea. And man, Tabana was, loves stuff like that. She does. And we're talking about how the Lord has to just laugh too, you know. Because he is fun. He's awesome. He's awesome. He knows everything about you and he loves you anyway. He don't love you because you're lovely. Loves you because he is love. Amen. We're going to read Luke chapter 9. Skipped a lot of scriptures, so I'm making better headway than I thought. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 9, starting at the 51st verse. See what the good doctor has to say. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Tell me when I find it. <laughs> when the days drew near for him to be taken up. This is Jesus. He knew when he was going to die. He knew how he was going to die. So when the days grew near for this to take place, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He resolutely, he made up his mind. He resolved in his heart he was going to fulfill his purpose, his destiny. Nothing was going to stop him from doing what he needed to do because of me and you. Amen. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, 
Do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. The King James, you need to go to for this one because a lot of versions have it incomplete. But he says, you know not what spirit you are of. For I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus was constantly accused of breaking the law. He was born under the law. Six times they accused him of breaking the Sabbath, just as an example. He taught different than the law of Moses. And then here he is rebuking the disciples for desiring to do what an Old Testament prophet did with God's blessing and power. However, Jesus didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. The law was given to kill and condemn. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. And to release the wrath of God, Romans 4.15. And to impose the curse, Deuteronomy chapter 28 and Galatians 3. Elisha, the Old Testament prophet, he, he was just operating under this dispensation of the wrath of God. When he called down fire from heaven and it consumed 102 men. In 2 Kings chapter 1. See how good I'm doing? (laughs) Know how bad I want to turn over there? It was the fire of God. Not the fire of the devil. When Elisha did it. Right? God was releasing His wrath and punishment on sin through Elisha. As he did in many other occasions in the Old Testament, didn't he? Exodus chapter 12, 14, 32, and Numbers chapter 16. Just a few examples. If you want to go look. However, Jesus came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. It's right there on that guitar strap. John 3.16. John 10.10, they were always accusing Jesus of something. He said, said, no, whoa, whoa, wait. The devil, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You had any stealing done from your life? Anything killed in your life? Anything destroyed in your life? Have you ever blamed God? And run into the arms of the devil? The one who really did it? It's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus said, that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Or to the full. John 10.10 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was in Christ... Reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. 
Not counting their sins against them. Not holding it against them in Christ. Jesus was just doing what He was supposed to be doing. And it was okay that He did it. It was He was justified. He was righteous in doing it because He bore our sins. Isaiah 53. And the accompanying wrath of God, He bore that as well on His body on the tree. So Jesus didn't reject God's judgment against sin. He bore it for us. Therefore, Acts 13, 38 and 39, he was able to extend the grace and mercy of God to those who would have been doomed under the law of Moses. Amen. When you read the Old Testament and you're trying to figure all out what, just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You delivered us from all that. Because when Jesus did what He did, it forever changed the way God deals with sinful man. Amen. In light of what Jesus has done in the new covenant, we would be rebuked now for trying to release God's wrath upon others as it was done in the old covenant. Likewise, if Jesus would have been in the world in the flesh in the time of Elisha, Elisha would have been rebuked for trying to do it. But no provision had been made yet. You see the difference, folks? There is a difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's not just one blank page between Malachi and Matthew. It means something. It means everything. It means you should get on your knees every day and thank Jesus for what He's done. It means you should be free to serve the living God. And you know that Satan's got nothing on you. That's what you need to find out more about though. Because he's got a lot of people hoodwinked. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 1.17. That's the name of this church and that's where it came from. Because it made such an impact on me. Because legalism and religion and all that nonsense never could set us free. It had no power to help All it could do was point out all my flaws. Well, heck, I already knew that. So it just reinforced them. You know? Heck, you don't... Nobody had to judge me. I was already self-condemned. I didn't like me or anybody else. That's why I had such an edge when I was out there. But I was heading to hell, folks. Luke, where are we at? Luke chapter 9. Look at verse 57. As they, this is right where I finished. After he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I'll follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This, where he told this guy... Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is used by some to support a misconception that Jesus and his disciples lived in poverty. <clears throat> but that's not what he's saying here. In this instance, it's, it's because of persecution, folks. That's what he's pointing out. Because of religious persecution, the Samaritans... The Samaritans—it's a long story, isn't it? The Samaritans and the Jews didn't like each other, and it was a racial thing. When, because that had to do when they were in captivity in Babylon, and some of them had intermingled with the other nation, and and they made a uh, a mutt, you know, like like us, and and so they hated each other. Well, the Samaritans knew because they the, he sent the disciples ahead. To the village, and, and, and they had let them know where they were headed to Jerusalem for the Passover. It's only three months away, and because they knew where they were going, they wouldn't they wouldn't extend any hospitality to them. They wouldn't even give them a place to stay. So that's what he's talking about here, and that's what I want to finish with with you today. Is where we started because it's about our witness. It's about building the kingdom of God. Persecution is a part of the Christian life. Jesus said so. And there's lots of forms of persecution. You could have your life threatened. Or, but for the most part, overwhelmingly, and even maybe more dangerous or painful, is the rejection that we receive from those that we love, that we admire, that we want to be accepted by, that we look up to, and we get rejected, criticized, or ridiculed by them, and then out of self-pity, due to the criticism of being outcast, we will sometimes shy away from speaking for the Lord. This is sad, and it shouldn't be the case. But it is. And it is in almost all of our lives to some degree. One of the things that helps you in this is to remember that it's not you that they're criticizing or rejecting. It's Christ in you. And Christ in you is the hope of glory, folks. Everybody needs Him whether they know it or not. And sometimes it's hard to love those who aren't lovely. But God loves them. And once we were the same way. I know I was. I almost really hurt a guy one time at a carnival for asking me if I was sure I was saved. I told him, of course, I mean. I wasn't. I thought I was, sort of. 
But in my heart, I knew it wasn't. You know, I'd been baptized a couple times, once drunk. Like I said, all I got was wet. I just say one more thing and I'll finish right here, right where we were. Because if you look at the next verse, it gets to Luke chapter 10. And I just want to let you feel the heart of the Lord here for a minute. If uh, if you would, just try to put yourself in His situation. Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of Him, two by two, into every town and place where He Himself was about to go. And He said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. In chapter 9, He had sent out the twelve. He had given them a dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He had given them authority and power over all the works of the devil. And they went out ahead of him and proclaiming his coming and did what he sent these 70 to do. Well, you see, just previous to this chapter, you see where they were rejected in some towns. And Jesus knew that it was just three months until his final Passover, which would be the last night of his life, the night of his betrayal. And you could just sense the sense of urgency. He, 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 give, he gives authority to 70 more. You know, he didn't have all the, uh, the internet and the television and radio capabilities. And now Jesus is coming. He had to, he had to send more. So he just... I can see him just saying, I just I need to get the word out. There's still so much to be done and so little time to do it. In my book, I got a chapter, the last chapter in the book, where for years the Lord has been giving me 911, and it bothered me to no end. I studied every 911 scripture in the Bible. And then finally he told me, I think he wanted me to study those out. He enjoyed that. Thank you reading the Bible, I'm not going to stop him. <laughs> Finally, when I was like, I, I can't, I don't, I don't know what you're saying, you know, and it wasn't to scare me, it was just to prepare me and tell him and let me know his sense of urgency and try to transfer that to me. The time is short. He is coming back. This is not a dress rehearsal, folks. Yesterday really did end last night. And today is going to end as well. This is the day the Lord has made. We only get one day with God. It's called today. I hope that you will start to spend all the grace that He gives you for each day. And then start fresh again the next day. Some of you think, I, well, you know, I, I wasn't with Jesus. Like these guys in the Bible, you know, and I, you know, I don't have, I'm not a preacher. You know, Luke, Luke didn't know Jesus either. And he wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He didn't know Jesus. Your story 
It's the only gospel that some people will ever hear. You have a sphere of influence in your life that I'll never get into. Billy Graham never got into. All the great evangelists and ministers of the world, they can preach the rest of their life. And every Christian may know who they are very well, just a household name. You know people that will never hear of them, never hear anything from them or about them. And if they did hear me, they may not hear me. You see? I've been in prisons and penthouses, you know, every walk of life, ministering the gospel. And I've been there with ministers. Like sometimes I have great acceptance in these situations. Other times uh, I'll be there with a minister maybe who's been in prison, you know, instead of just should have been so much like me. <laughs> and, but he, he has a way of reaching the, those guys in ways that I couldn't. Once he tells them his testimony, you see what I'm saying? Anyway, it's a lot to do and a short time to get there. And Jesus is just asking that we just open our mouths and tell somebody what he's done for us. That's the only sermon you need. You don't have to be eloquent, you don't have to know all the scriptures. You don't have to get into a debate with them about the Bible. If they try, just say, oh, that's all right, brother. I just, I know what he's done for me. I know he loves you and he died for you too. That's all. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and grace and mercy. We appreciate your truth, Lord, because it's the truth that sets us free. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us power and dominion over all the works of the devil. Not the devil himself, because he's running this world for a time. But we, he has no place in us or our lives. We can speak against anything, any trick that he tries on us, because we have been given the authority of Jesus Christ. And by the blood of the Lamb of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we can... Claim all of the 8,000 promises in this book. All of the healing and provision and peace and love and joy that we'll ever need. We already have. We just need to believe it and receive it and speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.